It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm David Asman. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Jimmy Fallon. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, November 23rd, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. It's a very fitting story for Thanksgiving. Brian Kilmeade joins us to talk about his book featuring two famous friends. One was a president, the other an ex-slave. Fundamentally, they agreed on one thing. They loved the country. They wanted to make it better. I'm Chris Foster. It's the 76th year of Toys for Tots, helping the U.S. Marine Corps give joy and hope to kids in need. We want kids to know that that they're not forgotten. You know, we want them to experience the magic of the holidays. And, and we do try to per, uh, try to preserve the magic of the holidays. Let the parents be the hero, right? So we try to do things uh, without letting the children know that, hey, it's, it's the Marine Corps behind, uh, you know, the toys under the tree this year. And I'm Jim Daly. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Happy Thanksgiving. A time when Americans gather to share good times at a feast with our families and or with our friends. And this morning, we're going to focus on two old friends from our past. One was a president we've learned a lot about in our history books, Teddy Roosevelt. The other you may not know as much about, Booker T. Washington, one of the most famous black Americans in the post-Civil War South. The man was a genius. He was able to prove that the American dream is actually possible. That's what really catapulted him into the national stage because he said, if we work together, we can have our differences. I recognize you have a difference and I recognize I have a difference, but progress is mutual. That's Dr. Kwesi Daniels at Tuskegee University, which Booker T. Washington built up out of a church in a shabby little home in Alabama in the 1880s. Featured in a Fox Nation special. His great-great-granddaughter, Sarah Washington O'Neill Rush, says he built Tuskegee up on three principles. The head, the hand, and the heart, and the head being academics. He knew that that was foremost important for these former slaves and their descendants. The heart was character strength and service, and the hand was hard work. Brian Kilmeade hosts the Fox Nation special based on his new book out this month, Teddy and Booker T, how two American icons blazed a path for racial equality. This guy, one of the most respected men in America, as an educator without peer, who's changing the way race relations are envisioned and internalized, who is known as well in, in the UK and in Europe. And... He started as a slave? Is that the story? Yeah, that's the story. Brian Kilmeade, of course, hosts Fox and Friends weekday mornings on the Fox News Channel and then hosts a Fox News radio show right after. Nine years old, never had shoes, never had pants. He'd sleep on a floor, eat the same thing every single day, called to the main house on the plantation and told by a Union soldier, you're free, his mom cries, no dad. They go back to the house, go, what do we do now? He talks about getting in a wagon with the, with the mom's future husband, his stepfather, uh, Washington Ferguson, and then going to West Virginia working in the salt mines. And that guy becomes the most, one of the most important men in America who didn't do this to be famous, didn't become an activist. He started an institution that on the average of 1,500 
per class would graduate people not only with academic degrees, but with skills and knowing a trade to contribute to society, making people who are told for the longest time that blacks and whites were unequal, that whites were superior, that blacks can only do certain things. Excuse me, mom, but what are they doing? Why is that guy so smart? Why is that woman so competent? Why is that teacher, that African-American teacher so great? What do you mean this difference between the races? How do you change people? You don't yell at them. You don't find them. You don't cancel them. You show them. And that's what came clear to me. And he needed partners. And one of the partners in the man of power was Teddy Roosevelt, who found up from slavery and wrote a letter and said, I got to meet you. Mm. And then they decided he was vice president. They just said, when I'm president, if I get there, I'm going to work with you. He goes, I'd love that. He became president when McKinley gets shot. And immediately he calls for Booker. And they worked together for seven and a half years and had a lifelong friendship. So the day he is sworn in as president when McKinley dies, he writes a letter to Booker T and invites him. But their meeting... He also apologized <laughs> for having to put off their meeting. But their meeting is, is a dinner at the White House. And I don't think either of them expected the reaction they got. It was horrendous. And America was not ready for a black man, even Booker T. Washington, to eat with a white family, happened to be the first family of the country. With in black the, servants, right, in the, in the, in the great executive point, mansion? Great point. And it was so impactful, it rippled throughout the South. I mean, I can't even read the headlines out loud. I included, mm. included them in the book. In the North, it was not that big of a deal. And there were times Frederick Douglass, I, for example, when, when uh, I found this out when Governor Roosevelt was governor of New York, he had blacks all the time. Yeah, he's got, why don't you stay and sleep over? Because I got this huge mansion. Why don't you stay? Over? Absolutely. He didn't think anything of it. He's like, I got to work with this guy. When we're done with dinner, let's go, go in the study and let's go work some more. So they both were so blown away by their, the negative reaction, they realized they might have hurt their cause. And that was the worst thing. But talk, uh, Booker T. Washington was about Tuskegee. It wasn't about him. And it wasn't about him being with power, going to the right parties. And he thought they might have hurt each other. And they said, guys, we, they said to each other, we've got to bring this thing down a little. If you come over, it's 1130, 430. It can't be for dinner. Right, right. And then I I include in the special, Dave. They still met, though, right? Oh, they met. They had dinner. Oh, yeah. Uh, They had actually, they were both honored at Harvard a short time later, and they avoided each other. Mark Twain was there, wrote about it, and he wondered if the hoopla because of the dinner, Mm -hmm. uh, is that why you stayed away? And he goes, I just thought it would be okay. It was referenced, too. I just thought it would be better if, you know, we talked some other time, and they did, they, they were seated separately. But John McCain mentioned the dinner and the outrage that surrounded it when he lost in 2008. Really? And I included it in the special. And he said, you know, a set decades ago, it was a big deal when a black man came to eat with a white president. Now, well, that black man will be hosting the next dinner. Look how far America's come. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to do it. Before you take a knee at a football game, which is your right, or take a knee at a World Cup game, which is your right, I think you should have a perspective on how hard people worked and how much they sacrificed in order to move America forward. Fundamentally, they agreed on one thing. They loved the country. They wanted to make it better. They knew it was the best around. And they both had opportunities to go anywhere. Teddy Roosevelt, not just a rich guy, he had asthma, he had huge intestinal issues, could never leave the house as a kid. He went through a hellacious upbringing where all he could do was feed his mind, not build his body. He overcame that the rest of his life. When you talk about Booker T. Washington, one of the things that I I find interesting is that some people, as the movement for freedom grew, some people were critical of him. Because, for instance, his speech that was so well thought of in 1895 in Atlanta, Georgia, didn't really call for a conflict or a clash. He talked about 
blacks and whites living together, but in the framework of the culture of the time. It wasn't calling for a change, calling for them to live together, even though they were considered by the whites unequal. So why, how does he navigate that? Because I know the NAACP founder didn't really care for the way W.E.B. Du Bois. And and that's a rivalry that these are the subplots within it. W.E.B. Du Bois never was a slave. He was a born free black man. Uh, and he was an intellect. He had the highest education possible. He wrote about and do studies on the history of the Negro. He would write the Negro back then, that was vernacular, uh-huh. uh, in America. And he'd go into detailed studies and he goes, This is how I make it better. Booker D. Washington says, I don't have time to write a study. I'm in it. Uh-huh. I'm in the South. You stayed in the right. North. Right. You traveled the world and you, you went to Berlin. He goes, I was in Birmingham. And I'm working at Tuskegee, and he applied. Uh, W. B. Du Bois younger applied to to teach at Tuskegee. He took a different job because Tuskegee acceptance came later. And then in the beginning, he commented how great the speech was. A little bit later, he said, "Wait, you're about getting along and accommodating. Uh, we're not about that. This is wrong. It's wrong to have a poll tax. It's wrong for the Ku Klux Klan to be in there. It's wrong to lynch people because a black man was perceived to be dating a white woman and vice uh, vice versa. You should stand up and do that." He goes, "Well, he would." He'd have to pick his spots. If he was too much of an activist, Tuskegee would have paid the price. And he had to do the impossible in the South, address a black and white audience who wanted to hear something different. And he both gave them what they wanted. And a lot of people had tears in their eyes saying, listen, I know how you feel about us. I know how we feel about you. We're not a threat to you. We just like an opportunity to live our dreams too. And he told white people, you know, you do what you do. We'll do what we do. But keep an eye on us because no one's going to stop us. We are, we're on a roll and uh, the sky's the limit. And at the end of it, I think it was Grover Cleveland was in the audience and he couldn't believe how great this speech was and how, the, how on, the, on the money it was and how motivational it was. And it was printed everywhere because I think fundamentally white people knew the injustice of segregation and they know what to do about it. Just like in slavery, you talk, you read Jefferson, you read Washington, they go, slavery's awful, but how do I get out of it? Mm. I was born into it. Took a long how time. How do I get out of it? Took a long time. And they used time. to say to John Adams, yeah, you're condemning us, but you're in the North. You don't need labor, right? right? right. You know, so you're, you're living a businessman's life. Uh, we are, we're there. If, if I let go of all my slaves, I lose everything. And as is just do it anyway. I know people watching at home, but just put yourself in the mind of 1750, not in 19, you know, 2023. So he was, they said, listen, this is what we're in. I'm, just watch me. And all he did was get more and more fans and supporters. You tell people they're evil and they're bad and we're coming for you. Even if you are wrong, you're going to be defensive. You're not going to help them. At the end of this, Andrew Carnegie, uh, uh, Julian Rosenwald, um, J.P. Morgan, how can I help? What can I do? They made him take a vacation. He goes, listen, I, you're working too hard. I want to pay your salary. You got to retire. He goes, no, if you give me money, it's going to the school. And they go, will you at least take a vacation? They were worried about him. Wait, a rich black man, the richest man in the world, worried about this guy who runs a school, in a historical black college in the South. And it shows you the goodness of people, even though they were in a time in which uh, segregation and racism was, was rampant. But they saw the goodness in a person. And I can imagine how many people were inspired seeing this black man from the South work with this guy from the North called Teddy Roosevelt. How many people looked at them and said, well, little black kids and little white kids go, I don't see any difference in race. They could work together. I can. They never really wrote an autobiography. We not, not, might not know how many people they inspired. But the relationship, I think, is worth chronicling. Teddy Roosevelt, of course, 
now in our current time, he had a statue of his removed in New York City. I'm doing this special, and in, um, I was doing a special in the history of the police force. And I asked Ray Kelly to join me, and he's, he's, he's right by the Museum of Natural History. And I go, it'll be great. It'll be right by Ted Roosevelt, our first police commissioner. He goes, Brian, you're not going to like it. They boxed it up. I go, you're kidding me. Yeah. So I had to do, we did it anyway. We talked about that. But it's, now it's in North Dakota. I think it's going to go in North Dakota with the Teddy Roosevelt Museum because he Well, he did love that part battle. of the country. Yeah, but it, it's going to be hard to get to. As opposed to the museum his family founded, where most of the stuff that he shot's on the inside and the... Uh, and the relics that he recovered. Does he get enough credit? Do you think for I mean, you? You link these two for race relations. Do you think he gets enough credit? Well, there, there are some things, in, and I talked to family members who are historians, uh, Teddy Senior and Tweed, and Teddy. I met Teddy Junior too, who's we're still working in politics, and he's not that young. But Tweed knew Edith, Teddy's wife, who outlived him by years, and he said, "Listen, Brian, when you research this, there's definitely this there, and I think you should do this book." But you'll research and you'll see some things that Teddy Roosevelt said, and they'll definitely show you had blind spots. He was a man of his times. But I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did because people only talk about the dinner. They don't talk about him writing a letter and saying, Booker, I need a judge. I need a nomination for a postmaster. Don't tell me. Don't worry about the color of their skin. I just need a good, I need the best person. Man, that's pretty impressive in 1904, in 1903, you know? Again, it's called Teddy and Booker T., how two American icons blazed a path to racial equality. The new book from Fox & Friends co-host Brian Kilmeade. That goes along with a special you can watch on Fox Nation. Brian, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. This is Jim Daly with your Fox News commentary coming up. Thanksgiving's here with Christmas just around the corner and Santa Claus up on the housetop. Santa can't give every kid everything they want, and sometimes parents need a little help, too, getting their kids presents at Christmas time. 291 million kids have gotten presents, toys, games, and books through the Toys for Tots program. Toys for Tots, the official name is the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program, got its start in 1947. So this is our 76th year of the program and is an official activity of the Marine Corps. Ted Sylvester is the organization's vice president of marketing and development. Toys for Tots, you know, we have uh, this year over 860 local campaigns. We call our chapters campaigns, and, and we're in all 50 states, uh, D.C., Guam, Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Island. And we have uh, wherever we have a Marine Reserve unit and, and many other locations, you know, we, we run a Toys for Tots program uh, in the holidays where we bring together a community and work with local businesses and local media, identify the need for holiday help of uh, families with, with children in those communities and we collect toys and uh, books and, and games, and, and we distribute them uh, to whatever religion they uh, support, whether it's Christmas, uh, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Three Kings Day, uh, doesn't matter to us. Uh, but a lot of folks out there kind of struggling. Um, you know, last year was a record year for us uh, with number of children supported and toys distributed. And we're getting the same indications from the field that uh, a lot of folks are, are submitting requests for holiday help this year. 
Yeah, I was going to ask, how are requests this year? How are donations this year? I'd assume that there's sort of a correlation. That In years when you get maybe more requests, you may also get fewer donations, and, and the other way might be true as well. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, last year was a record year in terms of children supported for, for Toys for Tots. Our Marines and volunteers distributed over 24 million toys to 10 million children. Well, about 15,000 children shy of 10 million. We usually average between supporting eight and uh, about 8 million children. Uh, but uh, a lot of our, our chapters this year are, are uh, giving us reports and, and, and requesting for additional toys from us, from the Marine Toys Tots Foundation, for more toys, because they're getting uh, a lot of a lot of requests, uh, and it's going to be as much or more than last year, which was 10 million kids. And we, we are pretty fortunate. We do have some support, just the generosity of the American public, not only donating toys locally, uh, but of those 24 million toys we distributed last year, we had to augment uh, the local toys with 10 million toys, right? And those are toys that we purchased with help from our, our supporters, from our corporate partners and whatnot. And uh, we're looking to do the same thing again this year. We're going to have to buy a lot of toys because our, our goal isn't necessarily a number of children. You know, we want to support every family that seeks holiday help from Toys for Tots. And uh, we're able to, you know, come close to doing that, you know, because of the, the generosity of the American public and our corporate partners. The logistics of it is mind-boggling to me. Maybe it's a good thing you're, you're you know, affiliated with a, a branch of the military, and that's part of what they do so well. Um, how do you get them? How do you distribute them? I just don't understand how they, how you do it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, we have, uh, like I said, 868, uh, local chapters in each one of those, uh, in a, in a different state in a different community, they work with local businesses, right? So we must have hundreds of thousands of toy collection boxes and bins, you know, throughout the U S you know, this time all the way in, into December and we're collecting toys, you know, from, from those local communities and whatnot. Uh, but it takes a lot of hands, right? We had, uh, over 40,000 volunteers last year to help out in the holiday program. Um, like I said, it takes a lot of hands to uh, get out there and a lot of logistics, you know, we're collecting these toys. We bring it back into a temporarily donated warehouse space. And then we have to sort them, you know, by age and by gender, and then match them up to the, the, the families with children, um, age-appropriate toys, right? So that that and, and then distribute them. So it, it takes a it takes a lot of folks to make that happen. Uh, but but our Marines and, and coordinators do a phenomenal job out there, working with the uh, you know thousands and thousands of volunteers to help them get that job done. Yeah, you see the drives, you see the piles of toys in, in businesses and, and you know in, in communities or workplaces. I know that um, here at our office, we we've, we've had one for years in our lobby. If people give cash, though, you mentioned you guys, you can augment the toys. I would think it would be easier in a way to just collect cash and go get everything yourselves rather than lug the toys from one place to another. But there's something there is something more special about the feeling of donating a toy, I guess. Absolutely. You know, it is because you know, it's a tangible item. You're dropping in the box. You know, it's going to go support, you know, a child that, you know, Christmas or, or the holidays. But um you know, you know, for the Marine Corps, too, it's, it's having Marines engaging with those communities. So that's very important to us as well. Yes, logistically, it might be easier and, uh, you know, to, to receive a dollar donation and buy toys. And we do do that. Uh, we wouldn't be able to support 10 million kids were it not for all the toys we purchased from from those donated dollars. But uh, it's a community action program. So so it gets it gets our Marines and volunteers engaging with the very communities that give us our service members. On the other hand, uh, on the other hand, how do families ask for help? How are they? How are they found? Um, I know that you know it's probably it's done location by location. Um, and do you worry that there might be families out there that just don't want to ask for help? 
Yes. So if you're if you're a family out there and you're looking for some some holiday help, uh, you can go to toysfortots.org. And then there's a button up there that, that says find your local chapter. Right. So um, it, it's very localized. Uh, so you, you enter your state and the county and that'll take you to the local campaign and, and, and kind of walk you through the process on, on how to register your family to get some toys for your children. Um, and yeah, and the other part of your your question, Chris, absolutely. I think there are lots of people out there who don't ask for help. And, and you know, our campaign coordinators, they work directly with families and they also work with uh, other organizations. You know, we work with a lot of nonprofits, uh, you know, you know, Salvation Army, United Way, church groups, other nonprofits. Um, and they help identify in, in the, at the need of, of families in those communities. Uh, you know, so we try to you know, get out there and help help as many as we can. But certainly anyone's asking. And then, you know, anyone who needs it is not asking. We're always trying to, you know, break those barriers down to, to find out who they are and provide some support when we can. I mean, look, toys aren't food or clothes or shelter. Um, but there are other there are other there are lots of other good organizations that, that handle those necessities. What you guys do is try to bring kids a little bit of joy that they might not have, which I think is admirable. Absolutely. You know, it's that emotional support, you know, um, especially, you know, I mean, if you if you just uh, put yourselves in the mind of a young child, you know, remember back when and, and you wake up uh, Christmas morning, there's no tree uh, toys under the tree. That's that's devastating. And then and then we go back to school, you know, a week or two later, they have to go through it all again, listening to what their friends got for, for Christmas or, or Hanukkah or whatever, you know, um, and it's just it's just devastating. So we just we want kids to know that that they're not forgotten, you know, want them to experience the magic of the holidays. And, and we do try to pre, uh, try to preserve the magic of the holidays, let the parents be the hero, right? So we try to do things uh, without letting the children know that, hey, it's it's the Marine Corps behind, uh, you know, the toys under the tree this year. Uh, I don't know how much insight you have into it, but I'm sure it's interesting to, to see the toy trends uh, change, you know, through the years, people of a certain age, had sisters who wanted Cabbage Patch dolls, or maybe it was Transformers or Ataris or, you know, or whatever it was. Uh, do, you have, do you have any idea what kids are asking for now? Well, we, we, we don't normally chase the trends. You know, it's it's a uh, it's a 100% donor-supported program. So a lot of our donors, you know, whether it's an individual dropping one toy at a time or making a, um, you know, donation to purchase toys, uh, you know, we, we um, you know, we, we try to make good use of those dollars and and uh, and, and and of course <laughs> toys you know every year after year even now with, with higher inflation you know toys are getting more and more expensive but um you know the people who are donating toys i think uh, you know typically understand you know what 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 a child wants and and that's kind of what we see in donated toys and and for the toys that we purchase you know yeah we we, we do work with uh, some longtime vendors that help us you know procure the, the the toys that are that are you know sought after um you know within a re- reasonable price point each year for us uh, black friday is called black friday because it, it at least apocryphally um it puts businesses into the black for the year because people do all you know start doing all their holiday shopping and now there's other days around there for you the big one is giving tuesday uh and i know that you're trying to promote that as a as a day to give to your organization yeah, you know, you know, for for many nonprofits and charities, you know, giving giving Tuesday is a very, you know, a very big day. You know, um, a lot a lot of people uh, support a lot of different organizations. You know, for us, it's it's pretty significant too because we are, um, you know, it's right after people really uh, get that uh, busy, uh, you know, making <laughs> doing their their Christmas time shopping. You know, kind of Black Friday after Thanksgiving, right, and that weekend, and then into the next week. So that's when when uh, 
you know, toys are really filling up our toy collection boxes all, all throughout the United States and, and giving toy, toys day. We, we call giving Tuesday, giving toys day here at uh, toys for tots. And, uh, and that's when we see just, you know, just countless, you know, thousands and thousands of people, you know, donating toys and filling up our, our toy boxes. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just a big day. So uh, we get a lot of uh, monetary support too. We're able to, uh, you know, purchase those toys because that's when, um, when those boxes are filling up, our local chapters kind of match those up, uh, you know, age and whatnot against the toys. And like sometimes, you know, we don't have any toys for a particular age group or or just not enough toys in, in period. So, they, you know, in, in general. So they contact us at the Marine Toys Trust Foundation and we're able to uh, make a purchase of toys and augment that particular local campaign. We do that for all 860 of our local chapters. And that's kind of when it starts giving toys day. Um, you know, that's we, we know what we have in the boxes and we know uh, what 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 the gaps are. And, and we're, uh, you know, filling those gaps with, yep. with help to countless people. This year it's uh, November 28th, if you want to mark on the calendar. Uh, and I assume people can also go to your website, not just to ask for a, a little something for their for their kids this Christmas, but also to um to find a place to donate. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Toysfortots.org. You know, if you can't find a box in your community to drop a toy, you, you know, we've just asked, yeah, go to toysforcots.org. You can. Even a ten dollar donation will allow us to buy a package of toys for a child in need this holiday. Ted Sylvester is uh, vice president of marketing and development at the Marine Toys for Tots Foundation. Uh, Ted, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Meet the American who gave us the written history of Thanksgiving. In what's now Plymouth, Massachusetts, the nation's first settlers arrived in the fall of 1620. Known as the Pilgrims, the colonists challenged the British monarchy and established their own society free of religious persecution. Most of what we know about the Pilgrims comes from one man, Edward Winslow. Winslow was born October 18, 1595, in a town in western England. Nearly two decades later, he moved to Leyden, Holland, to live along the English separatist colony that would later produce the Pilgrims. At 24 years old, the young Edward Winslow boarded the Mayflower with his wife and younger brother on September 16, 1620. In December, the ship arrived in what was called the Little Ice Age, a centuries-long period of unusually cold weather, and the pilgrims struggled to carve out the new society as the cold weather wiped out much of the society. Only 52 of the first 102 colonists survived the first year in Plymouth. Winslow's wife, Elizabeth, was among the victims, died March 24th in her late 20s. Edward remarried that spring to Susanna White on May 12th in the first wedding in the Plymouth colony. The pilgrims began planting crops with the help of Native Americans and enjoyed an abundant harvest that fall. As the new society began to stabilize, the plague started to wipe out the Native population. 90% of Native Americans did not survive. As both communities grappled with their losses, the pilgrims and the Native Americans celebrated their relations with a grand feast following the autumn harvest. Edward Winslow penned the story of the first Thanksgiving in a letter he sent back to a friend still living in England. The letter later became known as Mort's Relation and was sent back to England in 1621. His short account indicates that the Native population vastly outnumbered the pilgrims with at least 90 men to the surviving 50 pilgrims. Winslow died at sea in the Caribbean of yellow fever on May 7, 1655. He left behind the miraculous story of survival the first Thanksgiving. You can go to the lifestyle section at foxnews.com to find more of these incredible stories. For the Fox News Rundown, I'm Gianna Gelosi.
Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jim Daly. What's on your mind? It's been over 400 years since the first Thanksgiving, and yet the more times change, the more they remain the same. Thanksgiving 2023 comes during a highly volatile and uneven time in America's history. Dissension and dysfunction seem to be everywhere. Anger and frustration are running high. You can feel it, and you can see it. Whether politically, economically, socially, or spiritually, nobody knows for sure what's coming next, or even if it's coming at all. Well, truth be told, that sounds a bit like the first Thanksgiving. Hollywood and artists tend to paint that first feast in Plymouth in 1621 as this idyllic Hallmark Hall of Fame kind of moment. But it wasn't like that at all. It wasn't romantic. It was rough and it was tough. For starters, the pilgrims didn't even intend to come to Massachusetts at all. They were planning to land in New York. But the coming winter and unfavorable winds landed them way north of their original target. So they decided to try and make the best of it. They left England with 102 passengers. And by the time that first Thanksgiving rolled around the following November, there were only 52 of them still alive. The pilgrims had no choice but to work with the native people, and they were able to forge positive relations with them over time. William Bradford, who became the governor of the Plymouth Colony, summed up the challenge this way. He said, all great and honorable actions are accompanied with great difficulties, and both must be enterprised and overcome with answerable courage. William Bradford was right back in 1621, and that same charge applies for centuries later. We may not be facing a barren and desolate wilderness, which is what Bradford called the new world, but the difficulties are real and raw, and they're still raging. To combat and navigate the times, we can take a lesson from the first pilgrims. First, we need to direct our prayers and thanks to Almighty God. He is good and He is merciful. The first settlers didn't have much, but they had enough. They paused and they gave thanks. We need to do the same. Even the poor in America today are rich by most standards around the world. And yes, there are huge divisions and disagreements in America today. We don't ignore them, but we're not paralyzed by them either. We can thank God for our country, our families, and the countless blessings we enjoy. That we even woke up this morning and hopefully have someone you love and someone who loves you, that's a great gift. William Bradford counseled the need for courage. The pilgrims answered the call, and we need to do so as well. Well, it takes courage to live boldly in America today. It takes courage to not be intimidated by cultural bullies. Be countercultural. Proclaim and live your faith. Love and remain faithful to your spouse. Care for your children and grandchildren. Serve your neighbor. And yes, love your enemies. Thanksgiving is a time to reflect on the blessings the Lord has given us and to express our gratitude for his bountiful grace and mercy. From the daily home to yours and from all of us here at Focus on the family. Happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.